0: Please be advised. We will be discussing subjects that may not be suitable for all audiences, and will include subjects that some will find challenging, traumatic, or triggering. Welcome to You Don't Fight Alone,
1: a podcast sharing the stories of those of us successfully living with mental illness and how we got here. diagnosed with uh, social anxiety and um the kind of depression that never goes away um and it's always there and there's there's definitely ups and downs but it is not leaving me anytime soon my rock bottom um about A month or so after I turned 21, I, and again, I don't remember the specifics. I have a terrible foggy memory in all aspects. Cool. Thanks, brain. Um, but I had gotten into a really bad fight with my mom and I drank a half a handle of blueberry vodka, um, which is like frustrating because I really love blueberries (laughs) and I don't really love blueberry vodka at this point um, oh, and a bottle of red wine, so, you know, just hitting all those notes, right, um, and I went to the Ogden Theater for a show, and I lasted at that show for about 20 minutes before I threw up on a girl next to me, and then I got kicked into the, uh, the little drunk tank that they, like, wrangle all the, uh, all the college girls into, and uh i remember there being me and this one other girl just like profusely vomiting into a trash can in the main lobby of the ogden and at this point i my dream was like i'm gonna work in music i'm gonna like work for music venues so rather than like attend to the matter at hand which is like you're drinking a lot because you had a fight with your mom i was like I'm ruining my future. I'm ruining my reputation, and I like even in that moment it was it was so much about what other people thought of me, and it was not at all about how I was feeling, which was like shit. Um, and then I somehow again foggy memory, this time alcohol induced foggy memory, um, found my way to an ER. Um, I think my friend might have called an ambulance, might have gotten me there, Um, but I, I had alcohol poisoning very obviously and I remember being really cold and I was in a hospital bed and they didn't have any rooms available so they just left me in the hallway. And I was like, this is cool. This is the best mental health care I've ever received. And physical health care. And um, so I'm laying in a hospital bed um, in the hallway of an ER somewhere. And it's funny because my sister's a nurse and I also just like double whammy got in a fight with my sister that day. And so all the nurses and doctors that would walk by, I would just yell at them and I was like, you're not even a real doctor. You can't even get me a bedroom. You think you're better than me because you're a doctor? Fuck you. And I, and to them, I'm like this really drunk, out of control college girl. And I'm really just like suffering. Grew up in a really religious family so a lot of a lot of the the mechanisms for curing yourself is like just pray about it or maybe like try harder. Um so <laughs> I know, right? Uh so I when I was nineteen I moved to Denver and I had a terrible year of transitioning and like faltering and trying to be an adult and then I started seeing a therapist. I um I I have a really weird education background so I, I was homeschooled from kindergarten till eighth grade and then I went to school for eighth ninth and tenth grade and then I dropped out of high school after like a really bad uh, panic attack and I lived at home for two more years and then when I turned 19 I was like I gotta get the fuck out of here I grew up in a religious household. This is true. Um, I was homeschooled until eighth grade. I also have um, 11 siblings, um, which is not a very normal thing, I would say, although the goal in life is not to be normal. I think that's boring. Um, But in that way, um, I blame my parents for not paying attention, but I understand the reality of like, I don't think anyone should have 12 kids. <laughs> I mean, that feels like a shitty thing to say because I'm the seventh. And so I'm like, I'm not saying that I wish I wasn't born, which like sometimes I am saying that. But I'm also not saying that I wish that my eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth siblings were born because that would be a horrible thing to say. Um, but I do think that there is there is a limited amount of attention that, one person and i would refer to my mom specifically because my dad was the money maker and he worked full-time over full-time 60 hours a week I i don't remember like much of him being there but for my mom that's just like overwhelming that's that's too much attention to give to it's like it's hard enough to be a mother of one kid not a family secret but it is something that my family does not talk about especially around children um, but my granddad killed himself um, before I was born and I didn't I didn't learn about that till I was like 14 15 and I wish that I had known um, I don't know I don't know what the right age to tell someone something like that is though. I had a conversation with my older sister recently and I have, I have a span of sisters that I have a sister that's 12 years older than me and a sister that is 14 years younger than me. So it's a, it's like a, it's crazy because we all grew up in the same family, but we didn't at the same time. We all, we grew up in, in different times in my parents lives. Um, and I I had this conversation with my older sister recently, who is, she's what, 36 now. And she, she just like two years ago, uh, got diagnosed with, um, adult ADD. And that was after like years of just her being like, something's up, something's up. I don't know. Something's up. I can't focus. I can't do anything. Um, and She's great. But she said about my granddad, um, she said that when she was a kid, and she didn't specifically tell me like when she found out, because I remember being 14 or 15 when I found out. Um, But when she was a kid, someone had told her that our granddad killed himself because he was so sad. And the sadness is the thing that killed him. When... My sister was younger. Someone had told her that my granddad killed himself. No, they didn't say he killed himself. He said, Grandpa Sal died because he was too sad. And the phrasing on that is really, really awful. Because for her, that meant, don't be too sad or you will die. And so that was like, don't experience your full range of emotions, because it's dangerous. <laughs> that really illustrates the 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 way that my family, and not just my immediate family, like my extended family. That's that's my dad's dad, and um, he also grew up the same way, very very Catholic and very much like he had six siblings and my mom also has six siblings and it's just it feels like history repeating itself and I'm like I am happy to be 24 and alive at this point Well, my first year in Denver, I I, I think like a lot of people, I was under the impression that a, a change of location was going to mean like everything is solved. Like, oh, living at my parents' house and being in this like really, really confined mind space is what's making me depressed. So I was like, I'm just going to move to Denver and everything is going to be awesome. And that was not the case after that first year. Um, I think... I don't remember specifically, I don't think there was a specific event that like triggered me being like, I need to go see a therapist. It was just like a slow build that was like, dear God, I can't handle this anymore. (laughs) And my parents were always like, I mean, I don't understand. You could just try harder. Like, do you want to talk to a priest? And I was like, no, a priest is actually one of the last people I want to talk to right now um, because they're just going to give me more religious bullshit um so yeah so I found a non-religious affiliated therapist which was probably one of the best things I could have done (laughs) in the beginning I went to therapy once a week once a week every week and that lasted for about a year and then I got to a point where I was like the government's paying for this so good for them um, but I was like, I don't have the time. And when I think about it, it's hilarious that I'm like, I just don't have time for therapy. Like, I'm so stressed. I don't have time for therapy. <laughs> it's stupid. Um, but yes, yeah, so I would go, I would go weekly and then I would go biweekly. And, and then for a while I would skip like three, four months at a time. And those are obviously the, the periods where I would kind of sink back into just like really, really unhelpful thinking. Um, and so, in a way that, in a way that medication doesn't, medication doesn't talk to me. <laughs> um, it just rewires what is already in my head. Um, therapy is a way for me to, um, to have someone say things to me that make sense, but I'm not willing to say them to myself. I've been, I've been cycling through meds for the past. I want to say 3 years and I've been on I've been on like 7, 8 different antidepressants and three or four different stimulants and it's all it's all about the I'm not a doctor very obviously but it's all about the the balance of the three, the dopamine, serotonin and norepinephrine and I am lacking in all those. So it's uh it's a wild ride. Uh, still haven't figured it out yet, but I have a really, really good psychiatrist. Um, and I'm lucky in that way. Cause I think it takes people a long time to find someone that they can really like, they can actually trust. Um, and I really trust him and he trusts me too, because if you're prescribing someone stimulants, you got to make sure they're not going to go off the rails with that, especially if they have a family history of addiction, <laughs> you can have a med that uh, I was on a really good medication for a while and then I stopped being able to enjoy sex and I was like oh do do I want to come or do I want to die <laughs> who knows <laughs> and the thing is if I can't come maybe I do want to die <laughs> so I like that was a that was a cool six-month period where I was like I am so like energized and happy and fulfilled but I there's one facet of my life that is not working and i don't think people give enough weight to that they're just like get over it get over it you're not allowed to enjoy your sex life anymore and i'm like well that's bullshit so we're gonna keep looking we're gonna keep looking for something that fucking works and also uh a lot of antidepressants just make me more anxious I think similar to a lot of people that just walk into a psychiatrist's office and are like, I have a diagnosis of depression, please figure me out. Um, I started off on a lot of SSRIs, um, and then I transitioned to more SNRIs, which if I'm not mistaken is norepinephrine based. Do you guys know? Are you guys scientists? I mean, those, I think they were helpful in a way that was like, it felt like, They were doing some things, which is, they were doing some things. They were reuptaking serotonin in a, in a cool way that was working a little bit. Um, But I would, I would have, and I've learned to be very specific on this. And that's how we've gotten to a place where I think like fingers crossed, I'm not trying to drink jinx it, but I, I think I'm on a good, I'm on a good cocktail right now. And that's as of like two weeks ago. So it's very, very new and I really don't know. At this point, um, but things would happen like, oh, I would I would have the motivation to get out of bed. I'd do it, I'd do it, and I just live through it. But I would just like be super irritable and just like stomp my way through life, not enjoying anything. So in that way, it, they didn't work. It's not a full solution, and I think a lot of people get frustrated after a certain time where they're like i'm not fixable so why are we even fucking trying um and then from there i started on and my psychiatrist said that um i was actually one of the first people that he and he's a pretty young guy he's in like his mid-30s or something so he's not like a (laughs) old-timey my psychiatrist is not an old-timey doctor that gives me (laughs) potions just for the record (laughs) wish he was my psychiatrist is a younger guy, but he's also very intelligent. I trust him a lot. Um, so I was he told me I was one of the first people that he tried prescribing stimulants to um, in his practice, which ended up going really so well for me, um, so well that my blood pressure spiked <laughs> alarmingly. And uh, I now have – I'm not a person that takes very good care of my body, Um, so having to take my blood pressure every day is a pain in the butt. Um, but I do it so that I can continue to take meds that work. Um, so yeah, so start off on a lot of SSRIs, go to SNRIs, then we mixed in stimulants. And for a while it was, I was on almost like three meds at a time. Um, it would be like something for a stimulant, something for an antidepressant, something for anxiety. Um, and by this point I've, cut out the anxiety medication. Um, and I, I credit that to improv. I do. Um, I don't want to say it's like the god of... It's, it doesn't work unless you want it to work kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but at this point, I don't take anxiety meds anymore, and I'm really thankful for that because it is a- another thing and another side effect that I would really rather not deal with. Um, so I'm happy that I'm able to control that, um, in my own way, in my own life. Um, but I'm on right now, um, a stimulant and also a, um, an antidepressant that very specifically targets, um, norepinephrine because it seemed like for a long time, it was like, it's the serotonin, it's the serotonin, and it's like following this wild goose chase and, uh, Serotonin has an alibi, so we can't pin it on him. But norepinephrine and dopamine are still out there. They're still at large, and uh, I need to get them. I need them. When I started improv two years ago in 2017, that's when I decided to go by Nat. And the, it's very significant, the transition between Natalie and Nat. And I've had people tell me, like, why are you trying to force it? Why are you trying to go by Nat? And the reason is, it's not a rebranding, because that sounds shallow. <laughs> But it, it marks a specific period of my life where I decided to define myself on my own terms. So we had a scene, and it was about how your therapist is, is not your friend. Like, don't expect your therapist to be your friend because then they're not a good therapist if they're just patting your ego and telling you, like... You're doing great. Um, Fire that person if that is your therapist and go find someone who's going to be a little harder on you. Um, But what he said was, um, I had a line, my character had a line that was like, you're my therapist, but you're being really critical right now. And Sean goes, "Uh, I'm not your friend. I have been clear this whole time that I'm not supposed to be your friend. I am a mirror that you hold up to yourself because you're a faulty narrator of your own story. And he said that line and I'm on stage and I was just like, um, okay, God, ow, ouch, that really hurt, okay. And then we just had to continue with the scene and that's, in improv, that's a way where like, I like to say I'm not a very good actor. <laughs> I'm really not, I'm not a very good actor. But there are moments in improv where you're like, there is so much truth to that. Like, I don't have to act. Just got to act like a person, which is also hard sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you're having a good time in therapy, if you're going and you're just getting like, thumbs up, you're great. You're doing awesome. That one, that either means you're at a very tender spot in your life and your therapist knows that. So they're, they're working with you in a way that only trained professionals can. Um, or maybe they're new. I don't know. I think people need to be really choosy with therapy because I was lucky that my first therapist is still my current therapist, um, four years later and he's great. Um, but when I was going through, like I I was going through some like insurance bullshit where I had to, pick a new therapist and he was switching over to accepting medicaid and all this stuff and i saw a therapist um, who was like an an older lady who reminded me of my mom and i was like i'm i'm positive she was saying the same exact things that my current therapist is saying but she was saying them with the face of an old white lady who looked like my mom and i was like i can't this is too this is too real for me (laughs) (laughs) so yeah and I I just I've had people say to me like oh I tried therapy once twice like I just didn't like the person so I don't think it's for me and I think that's stupid (laughs) I, I had someone say to me recently and it was around the time of one of my shows but he was like Oh, isn't it funny how like everyone's depressed? And I was like, "What <laughs> is everyone?" I think, I think you're trying to relate to me right now, but what you're really doing is invalidating the illness that I do have. Um, so yeah, it's it's frustrating operating on like a, a slower pace than everyone else. It feels like sometimes. And I, that's something I've talked about in therapy a lot is being having a lot of, um, I don't know what the right word is, probably shame, having a lot of shame over the fact that like, I never finished college. And I, right now I'm at the point where I'm like, who needs it, who needs college? I'm doing fine. But there's still something in my brain that's like, literally everyone else who's 24 has a degree. Not that I would even use it if I had it. day-to-day the anxiety wise comes through in a really um a very like self-critical way so it's it's hard to walk through the day with a, a voice in your head that's like you're not doing good enough um and that's definitely something people don't see when you're talking about um Like an invisible illness is like you look so confident. Like I'm like, do I? God, I'm fooling you and me. That is cool. (laughs) I'm killing it. (laughs) Um, and it's been even funnier being in kind of a in a public view where people are like, "Damn, that girl's so confident. She's crushing it." And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) "Cool, everyone's fooled." (laughs) So that's definitely the anxiety portion. Um, the depression for me is interesting because I, I obviously no one's is the same and mine is very singular to myself. Um, but it just, it shows up as a, as a very like low baseline of energy and a low baseline of motivation, um, which is something that the meds have helped with extremely. Um, but it's like. I've been seeing the same psychiatrist for long enough that he's like, how many hours did you sleep last night? And sometimes when you say to coworkers or friends, you're like, oh man, I slept for 16 hours last night. They're like, wow, that sounds great and restful. That sounds awesome. Wish I could do that. And I'm like, what? (laughs) that's one of the things for for me in terms of therapy is like it's really just someone saying things to you that you already know there's somewhere in your brain you know it and it's it's nice to have an outside person just say to you like hey one time my therapist goes to me i I spent like half an hour complaining about my mom and he was like you know your mom's an asshole right and I was like, no, she's a what? She's a great lady. What do you mean? And <laughs> I'd like to change my answer. That's my breakthrough moment. <laughs> when I realized my mom was an asshole. <laughs> um being able to transition from like being very, very sad to being very, very angry has been interesting for me um because i think there's more motivation behind the anger and it's not an anger at my mother or my father or my family specifically but in a lot of ways it's an anger at the inability to talk about these kinds of things um and so i'm quite outspoken about it (laughs) I was I was having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day, which is like for the past five years in therapy, it's been a lot of just um, learning what specifically I've learned in my childhood that has been so unhelpful, which is like an unwillingness to talk about your feelings, um, passive aggressiveness, um, not being assertive because there are, um because there are consequences to being assertive. Um and never physical consequences in my family it was always just like stonewalling emotionally. Like why are you making a big deal out of something that it's not a big deal? Get over it. Um and being able to transition from like learning about the reasons why and then and then transition to okay i know the reasons why i am the way that i am now i can i can move forward and and take control of my own life in a way that i'm like i have the tools and i have the background and i have not entirely not an entire lack of judgment for myself but i i definitely i definitely feel like I'm at a place at this point in my life where I am done with feeling the shame associated with that. Um, and I'm ready to take that and make it work for me. And the anger is a big part of that because the anger is a big motivator. Um, for a person that has a depression that makes me unmotivated, (laughs) my anger motivates me. (laughs) Um, And again, it's not anger at any specific person. It's not, I don't think in contrast to people that I know experience mental illness and are not dealing well with their mental illness, um, I think that I don't, I don't blame any one specific person. It's just, just is what it is and it sucks and you gotta move forward. There's. Honestly, nothing else you can do. I would not sugarcoat it. I... I wouldn't say some bullshit like, everything is going to be fine. Just think positive. Have you tried yoga? Maybe you should exercise. Those are all terrible things to say. Um, I would say what you're going through fucking sucks. And I feel you. And a lot of people are going to tell you to reach out to people that you trust. And sometimes you don't have anyone that you do trust because you reach out to someone like your parents and they will tell you those same things and they will tell you that you should try harder. And at that point, it might feel like you are all alone. Um, but please don't. Kill yourself. That is my official advice. <laughs> I have to give myself deadlines or I won't do things. So I will do stand up by the end of 2019, and now that is on record.
0: For more information and to donate, please visit youdon'tfightalone.org. You Don't Fight Alone is sponsored in part by Mentally Chill. An improv team talking about mental illness and how it's so hard, but no one likes to bother anyone about it. Be prepared to be bothered. Find them on Facebook.com/mentallychillimprov, Instagram at mentallychillimprov, and at Voodoo Comedy beginning this September. The You Don't Fight Alone podcast is a production of You Don't Fight Alone Incorporated. Produced and engineered by James Fisher and Keaton Likem. The information presented by You Don't Fight Alone is not intended as medical advice. If you have mental health questions, please talk to a mental health professional.